All right, folks, it is Wednesday. You know what that means. Another episode of the Stewcast. And today we are going to have a college basketball bonanza. It's not March Madness. We're three weeks away, three and a half weeks away, depending uh, on what the calendar reads. I, I'm not looking at it right now, but we are getting close. So today's show could be jam-packed. Coming up, Eric Haslam of Haslam Metrics. He's going to be looking over teams that are risers, fallers. Explain a little bit about why you need to be on HaslamMetrics.com, how that can help you um, if you're throwing a few uh, shekels on a game. But first, returning to the program, uh, he's in the desert. He's the man of the hour, the man with the power, the man too sweet to be sour, the great Jim Root. Jim, how are you, brother? Man, that intro gets me amped. I'm, I'm ready to <laughs> jump to a brick to wall. Yeah, I feel oh, like yeah. I, I feel like a celebrity. I, I, I know I'm not, so don't even try to tell me I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man. Uh, first off, before we even start talking college basketball, three man weave. I was telling you about my friend Nick. Uh, shout out to Nick. Um, a, a lot of people are watching. I think you have like four thousand viewers today. Three man weave is gaining steam. Uh, where can people check you out uh, Monday through Saturday? Yeah, so Monday through Friday, the weekday show is at SBR, youtube.com slash SBR Sports. We, we've got that going at 9 a.m. Central. And then the weekend, Saturday, we do a show with FTN. That will uh, fade the noise is the company. That'll stream live on Twitter. That's at 9.30 Central. Um, let's see, anything else that I should really be sure to plug? We write it a little bit at Action Network, a little bit at Better IQ. Uh, I'll the be Wednesday on v- podcast. Yep. 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 Our, our, our college basketball shows on Wednesday nights, uh, our, our podcast. And then yeah, I'm going to be hosting VEASAN on Thursday and Friday night this week. That's a, a new thing for me. I usually do quick spots and now I'm actually hosting. So pretty amped about that. That's exciting, man. That's very exciting. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I, I think it, it, the Saturday show in particular is like super that you need that with a hundred games on the board, you need the Intel. You need you guys breaking it down. You, Matt, Kai, you guys do a great job. I I will throw a request out. Uh, Any chance with certain people becoming free agents recently, any chance for a four man weave? Like maybe you could go to a big guy on campus. Maybe we could get a special four man weave episode. Just saying. There's there's a chance he might end up uh, popping up on an episode. Especially I would think in the off season, we, you know, it, it, there's always different avenues of content in the off season. Our, our schedules are pretty rough during the year. So uh, I'm not, I'm not sure that'll, that'll happen, but we're, we're definitely uh, going to look to have Jeff on at some point for sure. Yeah. That it, it, great shows uh, when on his podcast, when you guys would show up and uh, hopefully we see it again, but uh, it, we're going to take a look at the Wednesday card, but before we do like just a crazy night tonight in college basketball, I think Eric uh, put out a tweet that apparently something's in the water that all the blue bloods who have been faltering had abysmal seasons. Apparently they're, they're all just a magical elixir away. Um, Michigan state beating up on Illinois. That's ruining uh, a little bit of my night, but uh, what, What's going on uh, with this with this Illinois team? I mean, tonight just couldn't hit couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. 
It's hard to figure. You know, th this one I'm I'm struggling to tell whether it says more about Illinois or State at this point because you, you mentioned the Blue Bloods and how they're playing better. They are. They they seem like they're all hashtag back at this point. K Kentucky's on a nice little winning streak. Duke is on a winning streak. Michigan State. This win probably at least gets them back into the bubble picture. So, man, it, it's it's weird to see them all making a, a late run. They're like zombies at this point. The zombie Blue Bloods. But Illinois. It's I don't know I can't figure them out. I some if I'm too low or I miss a bet on them, I'm like okay, they really are a top five team. They're a Final Four contender, I believe. And then they go out and lay a stinker like this tonight. Never never had a chance basically against Michigan State. Trailed by double digits almost the whole way. You wonder if it's if it's truly legitimate for them or not. So I I would say I'm a little confused by the Illini. I I've always been confused with them in the sense that. It's a team that on paper should shoot much better from three than they actually do in games. Like Miller goes on spurts. Uh, for some reason, they don't just give Ayo Desumu the rock every single time <laughs> and let him just go to the hole. Uh, their uh, fans were not happy with us this offseason when we said we were worried about their shooting. They're like, oh, we'll, we'll shoot 40%. Every guy's going to shoot 40%. We're like, well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should get read up on Fran McCaffrey's book about, you know, creating open, uh, open guys on the wings and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> uh, also tonight, um, just a very lackluster performance from an LSU team that really, really should have needed this one because you're a bubble-ish team. You need a victory and they just get, pummeled by the bulldogs down in athens uh is, is lsu's tournament hopes are, are they uh quickly waning right now they're they're actually in better shape than i thought i went through bracketology about uh i guess i did it sunday night so two nights ago and, and it was like oh this resume is kind of solid it, it's you know up in i had them up in like the six seven eight seed range so you know you take a not a great loss on the road at georgia but i think it might be a q2 loss so it's not going to totally submarine them um the offense is legitimate it's awesome but the defense is super questionable you give up 90 to georgia that's that's shaky so i think they'll get in but not a team i'm looking to they're almost a mini iowa not, not a team i'm yeah. looking to trust in the in the tourney no but, but certainly can put up points and allow points which is great yeah. for guys like us uh, congrats on your big win with Miami, Ohio. I think it was your best bet today. Uh, that yeah. was over about four minutes into the game. Um, 10 minutes in and they were up 42 to 13. I was like, Oh, this is fun. I should, do more, I should have more bets like this. This is better. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm sweating out Texas Southern as they play the devils. Uh, it's 11 five right now. I'm not, I'm not excited about that score so far. Um, and, and one last game to touch on before we jump to Wednesday here, St. Louis, this was, this was the spot you needed this game, uh, VCU's, uh, big guy out for the game. Um, and St. Louis just kind of shits the bed here. It, it, are, are the Billikens, uh, is Slu gone? Is, is this like hanging by a thread? Yeah, I think the at-large hopes maybe the ship has sailed. Uh, even if they win two in the regular season and get to the 10 tourney final, the quantity of wins just isn't there. That that the long, long layoff is going to hurt them, and the national TV performance against Dayton might hurt them for committee members that choose to opt for the eye test. So that that's a problem. Yeah, it, I would this veteran team would come out with a lot of fire against a shorthanded team and. 
they were basically down most of the first half. It was not a, not a, you know, big opening performance like I expected. And they did not get helped by the officials. I, I will say that. No, I don't know what no. Hassan French did to TV, but they were intent on following him out and, and late. If you want to make that late call to, to send, I think it was Ace Baldwin to the line for the, for the two key free throws to win it fine. But I think you got to look at the three pointer on the other end, the possession before where Goodwin may have gotten a hit. So it, it's tough, you know, it's tough to win on the road and it's tough to win when TV Teddy's just kind of doing his thing. But yeah, the Bills are probably a 10 tourney or bust at this point. Is there, with conference tournaments popping up and, and we're going to touch on some of the conferences because I think there's some games leading up to it that are pretty interesting. I think the Horizon starts this week on Thursday. I know in the, in the free press uh, in Detroit, Mike Davis was not pleased about how it was seated. It's uh, stupid. It makes no sense. <laughs> it really doesn't. But in the horizon, let's say, uh, you've got some teams, right? State, obviously, uh, a prime contender. Cleveland State, a prime contender. It, can a team like Detroit, can a team um, like an Oakland make a run in here in the horizon? I think so. I, I, Cleveland State, I think, is awesome, but overachieved a little bit. So they're, I would say, as, as far as a one seat goes in, an, in a conference tournament, they're potentially prone to an upset. And then Wright State, they they kind of asserted some dominance down the stretch until they ran Northern Kentucky zone. And that, that seemed to crack the code. They couldn't really score against them. Early on in the season, they had some curious losses in first legs of back-to-back. So we know they're vulnerable as long as you can negate the size a little bit, prevent them from getting easy touches. Uh, yeah, I, I think there could be chaos in the horizon. I, there was, a, I think maybe two years ago, the final was the nine seed versus the 10 seed. I'm not, I'm not saying it'll get that crazy this year, but I, I wouldn't be totally shocked. If you had to pick a team out of the horizon to make a run, who you got? I will go Detroit. Um, they, they have impressed me every time I've bet against them, every time I've watched them. They have multiple scores. Bull Cole and Antoine Davis are both like fantastic. Antoine Davis is one of the funnest players. Like uh, Philanderous Fleming is in the Big South. Antoine yeah. Davis is like he is just he's electric. He's a guy that probably should get a look in the NBA. Yeah, he's for for anyone that hasn't seen him, he's a coach's son. He's the son of Detroit's coach Mike Davis, and he has the green light from anywhere on the court. Like if he walks over half court and he shoots, his dad will say, good. I, that is great. Fantastic. Keep doing that. So, you know, he could put up 30 a game and then Cole is, is excellent as well as a complimentary threat. They've got a couple other shooters that space the court and water, waterman. Yeah. Water no water. Big old, yeah. big old white dude kind of looks awkward, but he, he knocks down shots. That first game he came back against Cleveland state. The guy could not miss. He's a six eleven forward slash guard. Very weird. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very thin. Um, th- their whole team feels like they can't miss. And defensively, they play like a tricky zone, which I just mm-hmm. mentioned that you kind of got to do that against Wright State to get that upset. They they already won at Cleveland State just a week ago, so they can clearly pull off that upset too. I, I, I kind of am a believer in them. It took me a while. I was a begrudging convert, but I'm on board the Titans bandwagon now. Well, uh, as, a, as a UDM fan, that's great to hear. Uh, check that out. Horizon starts Thursday. Make sure you're watching. Uh, let's get to Wednesday, and I'm going to start off with a game that is, for me, the game of the night. Um, it's probably – I'm probably the only person that feels this way, but down in the Southland, Sam Houston State 
taken on Abilene Christian. And, and by the way, Jim, I, I talked to a friend. He said that you got to, it's so it's like a C and then you got to have the, for the Wildcats. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like that. Yeah. That's okay. what you got to do. Um, that's the Wildcat pounce or whatever, but you know, we, I was, I, I asked, uh, I asked Eric Haslam about, you know, teams that he really feels like are undervalued. And uh, I know you guys bring up a team like Eastern Illinois, extremely undervalued. If we're doing team to bet later, you might have stepped on my toes there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Yep. Um, but because the the reasoning needs to be gone through. But um, this Abilene Christian team, when adjusted for defensive efficiency, number two in the country defensively, the rate. The ratings, if you go look at their their metrics, defensively, one of the most efficient defenses in the country, and they can shoot, and they, yeah. they can shoot well. The Sabling Christian team is going up against a pretty decent Sam Houston State team that can shoot the ball as well. Uh, you know, the line right now, I believe, is at four. I saw seven and a half. How about that? Oh, seven and a half. You're right. You're right. Uh, seven and a half. Abilene Christian laying it over under 140. Man, do the Wildcats pounce here? I got for the listener at home. I'm working on my pounce sign. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a, a revenge spot. Sam Houston State took them down in the first meeting. Really low scoring, kind of drag out brawl. I expected it to be a little more high scoring than the first one was, but. You know, Abilene Christian, they, they get it done with pressure. That's They just make you uncomfortable. It's a little bit reminiscent of the old Brad Underwood, Stephen F. Austin teams that dominated this oh, yeah. conference. Oh, yeah. They, they press you. They got a lot of athletes that can get, make you uncomfortable, usually one through four, and then they've got a, a big man that, that roams the paint. And Sam Houston State's prone to turning the ball over. So I think it sets up pretty well for them for, to, to exact some revenge as long as the shots are going in. Uh, I would probably lean towards Abilene Christian, even though it is a big number for for two of the best teams in the conference. Yeah, the Southland's been very tricky. Tread lightly, but I, I have to agree. I mean, defensively, they're just phenomenal. And uh, I watched them play against Corpus Christi, and they just they look like they're playing a different kind of ball in the Southland. So take that for what it's worth. Uh Davidson hosting the Bonnies and I still feel like the Bonnies they're good they're first place in the A10 uh they're getting a point and a half here coming off of a victory against Davidson at home now they got to go play them on the road and I I don't I still don't know what to make of the Bonnies I don't know what to make of the A10 I mean, yeah. the, the A10 doesn't know what to make of itself. It, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way Richmond's been playing, what, how do you see this game? I, man, the first game. So I, I, I backed Bonaventure the first game with the hope that Menenga and Brykovich, Davidson's two bigs, would be out because they missed a, a Division two game before that, like a little tune up. And then I bought off because I was like, oh, they're starting. I don't want to get in front of, you know, f- full strength Davidson. And St. Bonaventure really only has five players. I mean, they their minutes totals from that game are 40, 40, 39, and then 32 and 29. And the 29 is only that low because one of the Bonnie's guys was in foul trouble. So it, it's tough to expect them 
to play the same team twice with only five guys, basically. They they don't really have a bench. So I'm going to lean towards Davidson here. Their second game back from their COVID shutdown, second division one game, at least. Uh, It's an intricate offense. Bob McKillop's great, uh, a great adjuster, a great tinkerer with his system. So it's slightly into Davidson, but man, I don't have a ton of feel for this just because a lot of these A-10 games have been seeming coin flips in February. It feels like um, like the NEC, the A-10, a few other conferences, you flip-flop. If, if, it, if they play two days later, it's going to be just the opposite effect. And we talked about that last time of just some of those trends. Have those kind of held up that, you know, hey, if they're playing a day or two before and they play again, just the opposite happens? It, it kind of it feels like it's varied by league a little bit. I, I know the NEC is one that I think it's been big. The the MAC, the Metro Atlantic, also up there in that, that part of the country. The MAC. The MAC, <laughs> yep. That's that's a big one where it felt, feels like the flip-flop has been happening. We haven't seen it as often in leagues like the A-10 because the schedule doesn't set up for that. They're playing a relatively normal, like, Wednesday, Saturday, barrier opponents. They weren't doing the back-to-back. So this is a almost an anomalous type of matchup, but – I, I, yeah, I would just think the coaching is too good on one side. Davidson's a veteran team, uh, especially in the backcourt. I, I think the adjustments will be there. Well, the one thing I'll say, the first game was only 56 possessions, and I already mentioned Bonaventure's lack of depth. They don't want to run. Davidson definitely doesn't want to run. So maybe a, an eye towards the under in this one. Yeah, What do you have that number up? Uh, yep, one second. I will have oh, it. 131 and a half quick wow quick to the draw yeah, yeah. so the, the teams had a combined 24 threes last game and it only had 127 points so you know they were hot from outside and it still was under yeah uh i i will keep that in the back pocket i, I wanted to ask um and i think you mentioned it on saturday on uh ftn reminder if you want to watch that show, which you need to watch that show on a Saturday morning, I do so at the gym. It helps me get there through a workout, <laughs> help you out. Uh, you mentioned Bryce Aiken is he's a, he's a big piece to what Seton Hall wants to do. Yeah. Um, and I was talking with Jeff Nadu, and and he kind of it doesn't feel like Aiken. Like yes, it, he wants Aiken on on the floor, but coming off the bench, I mean, it's helpful. Uh, he's a, he's a senior guy that, that knows how to handle the ball that can shoot, give you good minutes, but it's not like imperative for him for Seton hall. But I think watching him this past weekend against Georgetown, they really needed something. They needed something from their guard play because Mamu, uh, and I, I hope I said that right. I sound uh, good to me. He's George. Oh, yeah, you. you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Uh, so uh, Mamu, he can't do everything. He can't put up 55 uh, a game, uh, even though we want him to. It, going at Butler, Hinklefield House is tough to play in, but Butler, this isn't a usual Butler team. What, what do you think on uh, the scene hall line? Laying seven and a half on the road over under 131 and a half. I will first of all say this line definitely seems to reflect the Butler injuries that are they're dealing with right now. Last game, no Aaron Thompson, their starting point guard, no Bryce Enzi, their their best interior scorer and post defender, and then no Bo Hodges, also uh, one of their other rotation guys at East Tennessee State transfer. So they're shorthanded, and to be eight point home dogs here definitely seems to indicate that the the market is expecting them out. On the Seton Hall side. 
to to go to the Aiken point, he's kind of like the the shot in the arm, the defibrillator. Where like if they're a little stagnant, this stuff's not working. He's got to can create his own shot. Come in. Maybe they're not the best shots in terms of quality, but when he's you know making things happen at the top of the key, he can hit a pull up jumper. It just adds another element that the the rest of the lineup doesn't totally have. So I think he's important for their ceiling uh, to reach you know their highest potential. And this one though, if Butler's that shorthanded again, I I, I got to lean Seton Hall. It means more to them. They're still in the NCAA tournament fight. Butler was you know spunky, battled with Xavier, but I just think this team's going to run out of gas if they're only playing like basically six scholarship players at this point. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. We've seen that happen at Boston College and they've kind of quietly just opted out of the season. Yeah. Um, the So listening to you guys and listening to Jeff this year, like it's made me a better basketball um, better. Like I don't, I, I don't do the eye test anymore of like in the, you know, the transitive property of, well, Northwestern lost to, uh, you know, I don't know, Michigan and Michigan lost to Minnesota. So Minnesota, yeah, I, yeah. I don't do I, that. I anymore. wish it worked that way. I wish it worked that way. <laughs> um, and and part of that is also opening eyes up to to some smaller conferences, which I think is actually the fun part of college basketball. I don't watch nearly as much Power Five basketball as I do, like NEC, Southland, SWAC. Um, I may have a friend that got us, uh, you know, we're, we may be grambling state donors so we can watch the feed of the games. There we go. <laughs> yeah. It's some real degenerate shit. Uh, but p- my favorite conference and the conference I've been following all year is the SoCon. And I think that it's, uh, depth wise, it's got a lot of good basketball and there's a couple teams that are really hard to distinguish at the top. Mercer looked like it was there for a time being UNC Greensboro's really come on. Furman's always been there. VMI's made some strong runs. Um, I, I, two games tomorrow. And I want to get your take because it, it pits again, top of the conference versus the bottom Citadel Furman, Furman laying 16 at home. Citadel shooting. This is the this is the line I wanted to bring up. Over under 159. Citadel shooting, I saw on the side of a milk carton at the grocery store today. It has disappeared. Uh, I don't know what uh Keontae Rice is. I, I don't know where he went. Um he, maybe he just like had a took some uh DMT and is on a trip somewhere. I don't know what he's doing when he's out there, but certainly Citadel is just not shooting. Yeah, no, they, they, they've struggled a lot. They, and they, they just had the, the big win over VMI and that's a, for their coach who is now at Citadel used to be at VMI. That was a big deal, huge emotional knocked off my old employer. And so they, they really sunk against Mercer over the weekend. And I'm concerned about them here too. I think they're, I don't have it offhand, but I looked recently and they're like nine and two against the spread at home and three and six against the spread on the road. It's just, you know, in a year where home court doesn't seem to matter much, it definitely has for the Citadels. Now they go on the road to, like you said, a power, a team that's still fighting for a, a you know, conference championship in the SOCON with Furman. It's going to be a motivated favorite. They, they will be tuned in to possibly blow out Citadel if they're not hitting shots. So I'm a little lean towards the the favorite in this one, the Paladins. 
I'll give you something because I was trying to sell my buddy on on the play the other night uh, against Citadel and and taking the under. I think they're eight or nine out of the last ten games have hit the under. Um, and 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 you might want to verify that because I'll tell you what, Vegas keeps overinflating. If Citadel's playing anybody, the total is about seven to 10 points higher than what I would probably put it at. I've got you eight in a row and 11 of the last 12 have gone under. Yeah. That's wild. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. And, and it's the one thing I think teams like UNC Greensboro, people have caught on to the fact that they play good defense. People are catching on to the fact that VMI is, is pretty good against the spread. But this under thing for Citadel is still hanging out there. And, you know, we'll just roll right through it. Uh, UNC Greensboro in a rematch of a game that happened yesterday at home again uh, against Western Carolina laying 14. I, Western Carolina, another team that just cannot compete unless they're playing a Citadel or, or a VMI or a team that's near the bottom or, or mid-pack. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened to them. Coming into the year, it was like, okay, Western Carolina's mid middle tier SoCon team. They've got some upside with with Mason Faulkner at point guard, and he's a he hasn't played the last couple of games, but they were bad before he before mm-hmm. he left the lineup. So it can't be all blamed on that. But especially in this matchup, his absence I think really matters because UNCG wants to pressure a little bit. Isaiah Miller is the best player in the conference, and he's a, a holy shit freak athlete, like a mm-hmm. near 50-inch vertical. <laughs> Not even exaggerating. His preseason videos are ridiculous. Uh, but so he'll pressure the ball. He'll pressure the point guard. And if they don't have Faulkner, which I don't think they will, I, I think they're prone to another blow. They got run out of the gym in the first game at Western Carolina, and I think heading over to UNC Greensboro, I, I fear for them once again. Yeah, and – uh, again, th- that defense has just been sublimely uh, fun to watch. I mean, they are the I, – I feel like they're the best defensive unit in the SOCON. Um, I know Mercer can give them a run for their money. ETSU can certainly give them a run for their money. But, um, yeah, I'm right there with uh, UNC Greensboro. And then we'll just f- f- finish it out here. Chattanooga getting four on the road at Mercer. Uh, a really good game. Going to be a fun game to watch because I think these are pretty even teams. Chattanooga can score. Mercer wants to run. I think. The, uh, I yeah, think. I don't know. I don't know what because the the analytics will tell you and the pace will tell you that they want to run. But I I see them uh, play games where it's just we're going to run for a little bit, but now we're going to take the pedal off and we're going to slow it down, and then we'll yeah, run. I, I'm interested to check their their unders because so they're I'm looking at their their Ken Palm page and it looks like their first 13 games, 12 of them were over 71 possessions, and they have not they've only had two games go over 70 possessions in conference play and they're both overtime. So like they've clearly slammed the brakes. They don't have a ton of depth, so perhaps that's part of it. Um, but now they're 42 and a half on the over under here on the total. Okay, yeah. Um, I would probably lean towards the under Chattanooga, not a team that wants to run too much either because they have no depth. They, they got basically seven scholarship guys, two really good guards. Uh, Excellent. That, yeah. They can shoot. Yeah. I, I, I like this Chattanooga team a lot. I've been backing them a decent amount recently. They hit free throws late. I know it's a big Jeff Nadu tenant. Uh, I like <laughs> yep. to back teams that can make free throws late and Chattanooga certainly can do that. 
Mercer's trying to play for a buy in the conference tournament. There's a weird situational angle where if they get the six seed, they don't have to play in the opening seven through 10 round, but Chattanooga is still kind of in the mix at the top of the league too. I would probably lean towards the mocks in this one. Let's round it out with two power five games. Cause I know people are probably like, I tuned in to hear about uh, Rutgers, Indiana, uh, Indiana on the road, getting three, uh, three and a half, um, over under 133 and a half. Uh, look, you know, I I'm a Spartan. I'm, I'm really happy, even though I lost money that we won tonight, you should not be losing at home to this Michigan state team. It's kind of a mess. It's, you know, even though they're my team, I think you're a Missouri fan. We can talk bluntly about our teams has no identity. It's a game you need and you lose and now you're now you're watching yourself match up eight and nine in the big 10 standings and uh i i still don't understand how minnesota's still in the tournament but it feels like their situation is very precarious as well yep feels like these two teams situations a little precarious i know Rutgers is a team that's supposedly you know got some room I think Indiana is a team that has some room, but you really kind of need to win this game to feel, you know, comfy. Uh, where are you going on this one? I probably I, I, just a gut lean to Rutgers. It made the number yep. about exactly what it was, but the hoo-hoo Hoosiers, they they seem to zig when we think they're going to zag. Uh, it, when, when they're like home comfy favorite, I just, I don't like them. I don't like them. Uh, like that situation against Michigan State, given that many points, uh, it, it made me nervous. And obviously they, they kind of laid an egg now in this situation, Hey, they're on the road. They're an underdog. Maybe that sets up better for them, but Rutgers coming off a, a home loss to Maryland. They do not lose two games in a row at the rack very often. Uh, I think they can kind of combat what makes Indiana so good. Uh, that's mostly Trace Jackson Davis in the paint. They've got a couple big guys to throw at him. So as long as Rutgers can loosen up the defense with a couple perimeter shots, doesn't have to be a ton, but if they had a couple early to at least, have that thought in the Hoosiers head. I like the Rutgers Scarlet Knights at home here. I think it's minus three. Yeah, it's uh, either minus three, minus three and a half. Depends on what book you're looking at. But I'll tell you, it really feels like a game that first to 60 wins. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to be gross. It's <laughs> going to be a very ugly game. Um, I wanted to wrap up with the with the big game of the day. Uh, Alabama goes to uh, take on Arkansas. It's a pick em. 155 and a half is the total. And I think me and you are on the same side of this. You got a special picture uh, in the mail. Oh, wow. Who did you have to murder to get a NATO signed picture, which is sitting conveniently next to your desk? Oh, it's on my desk and it is my motivation every morning when I wake up now. (laughs) I look over to that and I see Roll Tide with the NATO signature and it's great. Um, But man, this game... I'm, I'm having trouble with it because I want to love Alabama here. I'm surprised the line is where it is. I thought Alabama would be favored. Arkansas has definitely been surging. So to their credit, you know, maybe that's, that's part of the line respect that they're getting in this one, but I'm going to go with, I got to go with the tide. I got to ride with Nate and the tide. I, I think they're just the better team. Arkansas is a very solid perimeter defensive team, but I don't think they're quite on the level of say, uh, Oklahoma, a team that really kept them out of the paint, which short circuits their offense. If you if you can prevent them from one-on-one driving, then they, they really short circuit. But 
I don't think Arkansas has quite the perimeter defenders. The, the young freshman Devo Davis is great, but I, I don't think they have enough. So I'm going to roll with the tide here, even though it is, you know, kind of maybe a, a fishy spread at only pick them between these two, but yeah, give me, give me the crimson. Let's go Alabama. Here's, here's my concern. And Eric Musselman, I, I, I know some people don't like him. I, I like him. I think he's a competent coach. Um, I think that LSU game aside, like that was a horrific performance from coaching down to playing. I thought he just kind of got punked out by Will Wade in that <laughs> game. But uh, you look at what they've done in the past this month, beating Mississippi State, uh, who's a decent team that went against Kentucky, although Oliver Sarr certainly helped them. Beating your Tigers, which is a tough game. Going into Mizzou and winning that game the way they did is very difficult. Yep. Florida um, coming off that victory. They're rested. They're third in the SEC, which is shocking. I, th- this is a scary – I don't – I'm going to turn it on. Maybe the over. Maybe the over because they yeah. certainly don't play defense very well, and I think Alabama can exploit that a little bit. Yeah, both teams will be willing participants in a track meet. They, you know, neither team is going to be like, "Hey, hey, let's let's keep this in the half court. Let's slow it down." So, I, I think tempo will be there. It'll come down to whether either team can hit enough perimeter shots to push it over. So, I, yeah, I would certainly just from a tempo lens lean towards that over. Just a quick score update. Uh, I don't know what in the hell is going down at Waco, but they are losing to something called Iowa State. Uh, did Matt Campbell take over the basketball program? What's yeah, going that, on? That would be the 0-15 in the Big 12 Iowa State Cyclones. <laughs> that is a baffling score right now. So I guess uh, I guess we we all just kind of missed the boat on um, COVID being a factor for Baylor. We, we've, we've had a fun time with that in, in the weave this year of COVID matters, and then the next day it doesn't matter. And just every oh, game your, star, like, your star player's out? It doesn't matter. Doesn't oh, matter at all. Oh, Sharif Cooper's out 10 minutes before game time, and you're just letting us know, oh, it really does kind of matter. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, it's the, the, the injuries matter and the COVID matters when they do. It's it's the it's that convenient to to just pass the explanation onto it. Uh, you we kind of mentioned it, alluded to it beforehand. A team to back, a team to fade. Stealing this from the big man on basketball. Um, shout out to Jeff. Uh, look, uh, for me, I I think we know your team. Um, I'll let you go first. I listened to you guys. You guys brought it up on Saturday. Why is Something called Eastern Illinois, something we got to pay attention to. Well, first of all, it's my parents' alma mater. So, like, that's oh. you know, that's oh. the biggest deal. That's the biggest reason to back them. <laughs> Were you um, like, hey, Dad, guess who I really like today? Yeah, and he's like, why? Why, why would you bet on my <laughs> alma mater? Um, but, no, so I, I, I think we said on Saturday, yeah, that they're the most mispriced team in the market, or at least they were before they won outright at Austin P. I still think they'll be a little undervalued going forward. Just they were so ravaged with injuries earlier this season. It just did almost a completely laughable sense. I think at that point, the stats were they had used 19 different starting lineups in 24 games and 12 different players had started a game for them, which like, you know, school only has 13 scholarship guys. They were down to the bare bones of their roster. And now they're, they're much healthier. The key guy, Josiah Wallace is back. It's a veteran team, so it's not somebody that's going to like quit on the season and just kind of fade out to oblivion. 
I think as they try to build momentum for the OVC tournament and even into that tournament, this team will have some pretty solid value in the betting markets. I, I followed you on uh, that game this weekend against Austin P. And uh, winning outright was a very nice way to cap a, a decent Saturday for yeah, me. Yeah, good, good, good. I, uh, I, I'm going to go on the opposite spectrum. A team to back is uh, any team playing Mississippi Valley State. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's that's my so they're down 39 11. They're they're about to head into halftime. So that 28's looking okay. Um look, you said it on the show today. Uh this team is is pre- pretty they're they're hor- they're horrific. They are absolutely abysmal um in every stat, everything you look at, but they can play against an Alabama state. They can beat an Alabama state. They can beat an Alcorn state. They can be competitive with a Grambling state. But when you play the top three, top four teams in the SWAC, um, that's going to be an issue. And tonight, Texas Southern, they're having some real issues. Yes. Uh, coming up, it doesn't get any prettier because Thursday at Prairie View, can we, can we tell the people what happened in the first time they played Prairie View? They they had five points in the second half total. They scored 70, five points in a half. 77-31. Uh, well, they got to 11 in this half, so that's a yeah, positive. No single digits for them. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then they get a rematch at home against Jackson State, which I, I imagine Tristan Jarrett will be in that game. Do you have an update on Tristan Jarrett? He, he came off the bench early last game. So he, I think he's good to go. It was probably just like a, you know, slap on the wrist. You're not going to start today. That's your, that's your punishment. But Wayne Brent knows they need him. Wayne Brent is the Jackson state coach for all the uninitiated people that aren't losers like me. <laughs> uh, I like Wayne Brent. I like, I, I like the bow ties. Yes, he's a classy yes. individual. Um, <laughs> first game I ever covered. I first game I ever covered live was a Jackson State at San Diego game. So I, I, they they always have a near and dear spot in my heart. That was that for the Ocho or no? I it was just for the weave. I was out there over Thanksgiving and and asked their athletic director if I could cover, and he's like, "Yeah, no one wants to come to the Slim Gym for a game against a SWAC team." So it's like, "All right, perfect, let's do it." Shout out San Diego in the Slim Gym. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Prairie View and Jackson State, two phenomenal opportunities. The lines are going to be outrageous. You're going to see, I imagine, with Prairie View after this game, probably somewhere around 34, 35. I think, I think anything under 40 is probably good value. It's it's going to be such a hold your nose. Yeah, like just to, to give that much in a conference game feels crazy, but. They lost by 46 the first game. They they haven't shown any ability to compete with these upper echelon teams, like you mentioned. So. Ja- Jackson State, they were down by 50. And yeah. to be down by 50 to a SWAC team, is that's hard. That's yeah, hard they, to do. They're like a little healthier than they were earlier in the SWAC, yep. ter- in the SWAC season. They got a, a JUCO player that doesn't even have a Ken Palm page still, so he, he matters a little bit. But it, you just got to put your hands up at some point with them where – if they play somebody good enough, they, they tended to roll over. And I'm worried that will happen again against Prairie View. What about a team to fade? Is there a team you're looking forward to uh, seeing that pops up and you're like, ooh, I like this? 
So interestingly enough, you mentioned my Eastern Illinois bet from Saturday. Another one I wrote up in that article was Arizona and they won outright at USC. I was very happy with that, but I think they're going to be a team to fade down these last three games. That was kind of their Super Bowl. They went all out, knocked off USC, who's at the top of the Pac-12. They're going to be hosting the Washington schools this weekend, the Huskies and Washington State. I just don't think they'll care. I, I don't think they'll get up for both of these games. Maybe uh, you know, they, they'll maybe they'll skate by and win outright because they're so much better in terms of talent. But I don't think that they'll be great against the number. So I, I'm going to give Arizona as a team to fade because they don't have a postseason. I don't think I fully mentioned that, but they are banned from the postseason. They will not be playing in the Pac-12 tournament or the NCAA tournament. So I, I think they kind of put their put their chips in against USC and, and may kind of lollygag it the rest of the way. Out of the a real quick question on on the Pac-12 because that's been a really tough uh, uh, tough conference. We saw the other night Oregon USC. You guys touched on it. What would you take away from that game? Because that that got out of control real quick, and then it kind of settled back into an Oregon game. And then you just kind of think back, man, if USC hadn't just started out lights out, this would have been a completely different ball game. Yeah, that I think that mattered a ton. Edie hit three threes in the first two minutes, and that stretched out the Oregon defense. It opened things up inside for for Isaiah, or excuse me, for Evan Mobley. Uh, and, and yeah, it just it, from the start, it, it took a really bad tone for the Ducks. They came out looking like me watching. I know what you did last summer, or something like. <laughs> they were scared. They were shook. They, every time they got near the paint, they were rushing the shot, kind of flipping it up. They were not ready for the size and the athleticism that USC brought. Once they settled into the game later, they looked much better. But uh, yeah, the takeaway is that if you're not ready for USC size, they they can absolutely dominate you. And they didn't even have Isaiah Mobley in that game. So I, I don't want to believe fully in the Trojans because I'm not an Andy Enfield guy, but the, the, the big guys and the talent that they have is sort of overwhelming at this point. They're going to be an interesting matchup. And I think they're going to be one of those teams in the tournament that are going to be hard to handicap. Um, it's just going to depend on who they play. I'll, I'll give you a team. I'll go to the NEC, uh, a team that we used to be on quite a bit, uh, fairly Dickinson, the Knights, uh, yep. you know, injuries. Not a, not a lot of Dickinson left in them. They no. used to be fairly, and now there's no, no Dickinson left. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet that gets that one gets used around the office a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah this team i mean they were hot they were healthy uh they were kind of playing ball their way but i mean they really struggled against mount st mary's that's not that's not something you want to put up on a you know highlight reel for your season um st francis kind of had their way with them wagner i think kind of demoralized them and when you go with the uh, one in five in their last six, that's not – I is it injuries or is it just – like because what I see is they just – they still go fast. They're just not making their shots. And when they sub out, it's bad news bears. Yeah, not a lot of depth. They don't, they, they don't take great shots. I think they're so intent on playing fast that they're not focused on the quality of the shot they get. And they don't play much defense at all, which – against a, a patient team like Mount St. Mary's that works to get inside, it goes after the offensive glass. It's a problem for them. Uh, only the top four from the NEC make the conference tournament. And I think Fairleigh Dickinson is now eliminated. So yeah, I could see them just being over it at this point. They do have a senior point guard that probably wants to go out, you know, feeling good, but 
they don't have a lot to play for at this point. So, yeah, I, I would think they're probably a, a solid team to fade as well. That NEC is going to be real interesting because uh, I'll give a, another team that I'm I'm being very cautious about, Bryant, and I am very concerned. I know they came back and they beat the Sharks, um, but the Sharks are like they they're way too fast for their own good. They're like Ole Miss football. When you when you go 150 miles an hour and score every 10 seconds, your defense gets really tired, and that's what happens to the Sharks. Um, yeah. Although they do try to play defense, which I guess is admirable. Uh, I'm I'm kind of worried about this Bryant team, and you know I think Wagner has kind of asserted themselves now that Wagner's back healthy. Um, they they've kind of shown that they might actually be the class of the NEC. Uh, what's your take on Bryant going forward? I was a little impressed with them, actually. Coming out of their COVID shutdown, they beat Merrimack twice, who plays a super tricky, trappy matchup zone. Oh, yeah, so, that's an under team I love. Yeah, to, to be able to pull pull that one out was, you know, I, I was surprised. I thought Merrimack would at least get one off of them because Merrimack needs it to get into the NEC tournament, that top four, as I mentioned. So, you know, it, they, they have a, a, kind of a talent gap over a lot of the teams in their league but they're very prone to cold shooting. They, they fire away from deep. They're running up and down. If they don't shoot well, they can be exploited. And, and they've only got one real true big guy in Hall Alicius. He's a great shot blocker, but if he's in foul trouble, you, you can score, basically have a layup line inside. So it's a depth thing. It's a matchup thing. If they're playing teams that can take care of the ball and, and pound it inside, then I think they're in trouble. What's coming up for the three-man weave? I mean, uh, like we said, SBR Monday through Friday, podcast on Wednesday, FTN on Saturday. I think I got it down. Uh, where where are you guys going to be for the tournament? Is there anything special you guys are got planned, or is it just like full steam ahead, same same deal? Mostly full steam ahead. One one thing we, we like to do and we'll hopefully have this year uh, on our website, which is 3 man weavecom we write up a conference tournament preview for every league and give a little bit of a look back on storylines and some predictions going forward. So maybe there can be some value there to be had if, if people are looking for angles. And then we write up a, a first round preview of every single game from a handicapping lens. It's all free. This is one of our, our babies. It's kind of like our, the, the bookend to our preseason previews. We hit the, the round one really hard and we look at when each team has the ball, any X factors, any coaching angles, try to just dive in as much as possible to each individual game matchup rather than just like a full region preview. So those usually will get out, you know, selection Sunday, you get the bracket, maybe expect them Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. That gives people plenty of lead time up into the Friday games. Cause you know, quite frankly, we need time to write them. They take a while. <laughs> um, but we're looking forward to that quite a bit. We'll have some extra writing at action network and we'll have a little bit of, uh, maybe maybe some additional features with Brad Evans over at Fade the Noise. So we are going to be very busy in March. But you know what? To have a tournament, I will do anything. I will I will not sleep the whole month at Per John Rothstein. <laughs> I I I will tell you that I even though I appreciate it being free, I feel like a little five dollar, you know, donation to the weave. There's a donation a, tab on the site, dude. Do it with, do okay. with it as you will, as you will. Okay. <laughs> if you're gonna be a guy that checks it out, donate on the on the site. Um, I bought the shirt, which you can get at homefield.com. And by the way, let's let's. Talk, I I don't want to, you know, no free ads, but Homefield is legit. I mean, yes. uh. 
the fact that they have the Rainbow Warriors throwback uh, Honolulu uh, Rainbow Warriors for Hawaii that I mean, to steal a phrase that shirt fucks. That, yes. that, that, oh, yeah. it's just fire russ hanneman baby oh yeah it's it's a fantastic site and company they're they're very amiable easy to work with and the gear is just incredible some of the throwback logos they have are fantastic 3mw that's 3mw 20 percent off your your order i got a buddy we're doing a thing right now where we've kind of made a deal that whatever team has helped us out. I think you guys are doing the same. Whatever team has helped us out the most this year is getting a shirt uh, ordered. Yeah, I, bought, I, bought, I bought an Alabama shirt and I also bought a Toledo shirt because they ruined me early fading them. And it was almost a sign of respect. I felt like I owed it to them <laughs> to buy them a shirt. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to really regret that next year when you're like, look in the mirror and go, oh, fuck, I just, <laughs> the Rockets. For me, it's Belmont. Uh, the Bruins are, uh, I feel like I'm going to, they're going to, they're going to really screw me up, but we'll see. Well, uh, Jim, I can't thank you enough. Hopefully uh, I'd like to get up with you again after the season ends, maybe talk a little more basketball, recap it a little bit. Oh, we'll Re- dig into the, uh, the futures market too. There's lots of value to be had in April and May. Hey, and you know what? I'm all about it. I, I would like a little $5, uh, future on on a Loyola Chicago what would that have been last April last May like plus 80,000 I have ten dollars on Loyola 1500 to one so 10 to pay 10 to pay 15,000 for for a team that should be you know like a seven seat I'm I'm pretty amped about it just give me a little run just give me a little do you do so I I mean the Drake game aside I think Drake game Drake was playing like for their life in that second game yeah. But this Rambler defense is really tough. They can shoot, but I feel like in the tournament we see all the we see a team or two that gets really defensive. Uh Oregon springs to mind as another team that could be that. How far do you, what's the ceiling for the Ramblers? Are they are they a final four team or are they just like do you feel like you can hedge? You can just be like, well, I got this fifteen thousand dollar ticket. Yeah, I mean, if they get to Sweet 16, I'll probably hedge a little bit. But I, I think they can be a Final Four team. I think it's better than the team that made the Final Four in 2017. So if that team could do it, then why can't this one? Crutwig's still the centerpiece. They've got some legitimate creators on the perimeter. Maybe no one quite to the level of Clayton Custer that they had then. But same coach, same big man. I think the ceiling is Final Four, as long as they avoid Baylor and Gonzaga. <laughs> fair enough well you know uh do you have an update on the baylor game that they're, they're up two with a minute and a half left so exciting maybe gonna squeak by yeah exciting uh well thank you very much jim three man weave check them out uh coming up after a short break eric haslam and haslam metrics What's going on? It's Matt Bernier from the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. Be sure to join us every Monday, occasionally Tuesdays, but for the most part, every Monday. However you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's YouTube, you name it, you can find it a million different places, including InTheMoneyPodcast.com. It's the Matt Bernier Show. Anything and everything to do with the world of horse racing. All right, at this time... I mentioned him at the beginning of the show. He's he's a proprietor, the the founder, the driving force behind a site that is, for my my money, uh, one of the best analytics sites out there for not only 
college basketball, but sports in general. Uh, and I'm talking about Haslam metrics and Eric Haslam, sir. Thank you for coming on. It's uh, even though you're wearing that Bucky the Badger hat, uh, it's really cool to talk to you. Thanks for uh, spending some time with me tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, so I actually just recently, like within the past couple of weeks, got into Haslam metrics uh, and I got it through uh, Jeff Nadeau and I've heard the three man weave uh, talk about it as well. And I got on there and there's so much uh, like valuable data there. How'd this whole thing start? And and for people that are visiting for the first time, what are they going to see? <laughs> well, you know, it all kind of went back to, I mean, it goes back to the nineties for me, early night, early nineties. I, you know, I was a big fan of March Madness going back to, I fell in love with, with um, the NCAA tournament right around the time that, Loyola Marymount, uh, the Paul Westhead team was, I, I love that team, that up-tempo team that hung 149 points on defending champion Michigan in 1990. And I just kind of got lost in the magic of March Madness. And I was back in the nineties, there wasn't all this, you know, or the early nineties, there wasn't the internet there. So one of the first things I did was I ran to the, the <laughs> newspaper stand on Monday morning to get the USA Today, because that's the only place where you could get those team capsules yeah. that, you know, told you who everybody was, how good they were. Um, but, you know, as time went along, you know, the, with the, uh, the onset of the, uh, and the advancement of the internet, all of a sudden, all this information was kind of at your fingertips more and more. And you saw different uh, individuals out there starting to post things like this. And I said, you know, I'm, I have this engineering background. I have this computer science background. I'm more interested in doing it myself. I'd like to know what the sausage is made of, so to speak. Um, and I kind of want to do it a little bit differently. So it's at the first, I just kind of looked into how things work, you know, with the Dean Oliver's four factors. And I was kind of following the same lead as a lot of other people. And after a while, I, I just said to myself, you know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Everybody, a bunch of people reinvent the wheel. I want to do something. How, if I started from scratch and I wasn't being influenced by what I read on the internet, how would I do it? And that's where Haslametrics was kind of born. Um, I really wanted to focus primarily on scoring and shooting and you have with scoring and shooting you have tendencies of different teams you know where are they shooting from on the court most of the time where do they uh how do they succeed shooting from these different different locations are there special situations where teams are getting a, a higher percentage or a lower percentage based on um, putting themselves in certain situations. For example, um, steals. If you get quick steals and you score five or 10 seconds off a steal, how often is a team doing that? How often is a team grabbing an offensive rebound and getting a quick, put, a quick putback inside of five seconds? These were the kind of things that I kind of wanted to, to, to figure out. And I, I know a lot of people were using box scores to pull some of their data. And I said, you know, I can, with my background, my computing background, I can go and parse data from a play-by-play -play log and get a little bit more information than anybody else. At that point, people are just kind of breaking things down into two-point shots and three-point shots. And I said, well, if it's saying layup and alley-oop and tip-in versus you know, a, a jumper from, from two-point range, I can break this down into near proximity and, and mid-range. So that's why I chased after the play-by-play um, the -play logs as opposed to the box score, um, the data. Um, it also allowed me to create something which a lot of people who are familiar with my work on Twitter know as hashtag analytically final and <laughs> an analytically final was actually created by a gentleman named Bill James. 
Um, I, it was something that I just adopted. I tweaked it a little bit. And the idea behind it is you want to find a point in the game when the lead is so big with the amount of time left that the lead is mathematically safe. What I, my, based on my opinion of what I've seen in the past, usually when a game gets to that point, a lot of coaches, like for example, a great example this year is Mark Few for Gonzaga, yeah. is they will take, they'll take their foot off the accelerator. And You're at absolutely that point, I'm, right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not interested in the Gonzaga team after they put the foot off the accelerator. I want to know the Gonzaga team when they're, when they're invested in winning the game. And so that's what happened with the play-by-play logs. I was able to determine when a game went analytically final and then throw on the trash heap game data that happened after that point. I found that to be a very, a much more reliable estimate of how good a team was. And so it was just kind of one of those things that, you know, over time I, I started with just rankings and I said, you know, I can put these all play estimates out there. I can do automated team summaries. And then I started delving into bracketology and I delved into automated um, uh, game previews and all that kind of stuff. And as I tell people, it's kind of like building, building a castle. If you have a passion for it, you, you, you like just doing the bricklaying. And before you know it, you step back and you've kind of built a castle. And that's just kind of the way it is now. It's just kind of one of those things that you built piece by piece. And after a while, it just kind of grows into what it is today. I actually pulled up uh, just because they were the first team I picked. Uh, Iowa's team page. And what I, what I love what you've done with this is and kind of I want to I want to talk a little bit more about these four fundamentals the four basis uh you know stats that you're you're building teams off of and it all comes back to efficiency and you can see that you know Iowa's very good on one end and you know not as prolific on the other yeah. but uh how, how do you how do how do these four factors? What are they, and how, how do how do you weight them against the rest of the stats that you've kind of come to create? Well, well, the four factors are actually now that that was the Dean Oliver thing. That was the thing that was the recreating the wheel. So I went away from that. The four factors, the talking like the offensive free throw rate and the, yeah. the second uh, that kind of stuff. I went away from that because I think that was the thing a lot of people were uh, were doing. What I, everything that that I do is based on transitive comparisons. And you have certain data from one game. So say Iowa plays Illinois and Wisconsin plays Illinois. You can use Illinois as that constant to create uh, a comparison between the other two teams who played Illinois. And by doing this, you create a spider web of these comparisons throughout the season. And it starts with just tens. And by the end of the year, it's thousands of these comparisons. And that really allows you to get this overall spider web of comparisons that you just kind of mesh together and it gives you all of these different ratings and all of these different categories. And so that's the kind of the way I did things. You know, I was able to determine, you know, how, how good a team was on, you know, on their second chances, on, on points off of steals from three-point range, from mid-range, from near proximity, all these different things. And then you just compare the performances of two different teams who play the same opponent. And you do that time and time and time and time again. And it, it, there is some complexity to it behind the scenes. But when you think of what I do, it's pretty simple. It's a lot of transitive comparisons is all it is. I think it's what a lot of people do in their head while they're watching a game. Uh, yeah. It just uh, fuzzy math. Wisconsin beats. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and they'll make the assumption, you know, like all of a sudden Northwestern beat Wisconsin and Wisconsin beat, you know, uh, Illinois. So hence Northwestern is better than Illinois. Okay. You can use that one, uh, one example of a transitive comparison that works in, in one team's favor, but maybe 
another 50 work against them. So that's the thing is you got to take into account. I always say Tebow on, uh, yeah. on, on, on Twitter, which is the entire body of work. That's so that's, <laughs> that, that's what you have to focus on. Is there, is there a stat, uh that you find that that's constantly overrated or maybe even underrated uh something that folks aren't looking at oh that's a tough one i'm trying to think i know some people i put a little bit more i might put more stock in like for example defensive three-point percentage i know that one is downplayed and say well it's a lot of luck from the from the perimeter who you're playing i still see some certain percentages across the board with teams like virginia where it's consistent and and maybe that's just because teams are forcing shots at the end of the shot clock. That's one of the things if I could do, um, as I talked about before, there are certain situations. And I said, what situations would create a team to have a field goal percentage much higher than normal or much lower than normal? And the two that I found that were higher than normal were, you know, points that were uh, scored quickly off of steals. So like breakaway situations mm-hmm. or second chance putbacks. Um, if I could do it and I can't because the data just isn't reliable enough is I would add one to go the other direction and say, how often are teams taking shots with less than five seconds left in the shot clock? Yeah. Because, because looking back with teams like Virginia in the past, that's how Virginia succeeded. They made teams work throughout the entirety of the shot clock. And all of a sudden they're launching three pointers, poorer three pointers with one or two on the shot clock. And if I could, you know, take those and set those aside and, and measure those. I think that would even make my, my, make my model even more exact, but unfortunately I just can't get shot shot clock data within the, uh, the play-by-play logs. Well, yeah, it's, it, you know, you might even have, you know, trouble with a Virginia game, let alone what happens at an Arkansas pine bluff game. Um, yeah. Good luck. Uh, I, I love the site. I urge everybody to go check it out. What's cool about it is, you can do all these comparative matchups. You can pick any team and you have that list of who they're going to, you know, what the outcome's going to be. Here's a spoiler alert. Gonzaga beats everybody. Um, <laughs> what, at what point in the season does your, because it's based on comparisons and, and this data, at what point in the season do you go, okay, now everything's kind of chugging along and we, we've got some real data that we can look at. Yeah, typically in the past, what I've done before this year, this year is kind of a special year, obviously, because of COVID. Um, what I've done in the past is I never went into baseline preseason rankings. I didn't, I didn't buy into them. I said, I'm only interested in the current season. Um, this year was a, a little bit different animal because you had so many teams like in the Patriot League that were only going to start playing conference games in January. You had the Ivy League that opted out. You had different, uh, you had different teams that at any given point in the year, you didn't know when they were going to back out. So I had to make some special changes. But going back to your original question of when did it usually kick in, make it really reliable? Well, the season typically starts in any year other than this one, typically the first week in November. And I'd say by middle to late December, things are pretty reliable. This year, um, I had to change it up, as I said. I actually did implement preseason ratings. And what I ended up doing was I said kind of the preseason ratings are kind of there as a crutch for all the data for the first, you know, six weeks or so. And then teams will molt that preseason baseline rating over uh, about 12 or 13 games. So any, most of these teams now, these big teams, there's everything from their preseason baseline ratings has been taken off. It's gone. It's completely dissolved to nothing. And now we're looking strictly at this season's data. So in a normal year, if you're going from scratch and you're not using preseason data, I would say it's probably about five or six weeks to get 
really reliable information off the site. That's that's interesting because right, like right now it's like what what you see on the on the um, page is kind of it co- coalesces what with what you see on the TV. Um, so I tremendous tremendous job there. Uh, I wanted to ask you about we're, we're coming up on it. Everybody wants to know is my team making it? I'm a Spartan fan, so luckily yeah. that question's already been answered for me. <laughs> uh, what what are some teams on this bubble that you think are on, are capable of getting into the the tournament and uh, participating? And are there any teams that you're concerned about, and, and they may be sitting at home uh, looking at the NIT brackets? You know, there's a, there's a bunch of them I can look at, and I have on my site. There's always I list like the last four in, and I have the first eight out. Um, some that jump to mind, like for example, VCU is a team that is, that is right there. I think on the bubble, their problem right now is they have zero quadrant one wins. Um, Louisville is a very, uh, is a similar team. I think Louisville will probably get the benefit of the doubt just because of the name on the front of their Jersey. Um, they are 11 and five and they have been hit hard by injuries this year, but they're similar to VCU zero quadrant one, uh, victories. Um, they've, they've also had, had their efficiency margins blown by two very, very bad games coming off of COVID pauses. One of them against Wisconsin, the other, uh, this past weekend against North Carolina. So those teams, I think Louisville's probably in better shape than VCU. VCU was in pretty good shape until they took a thumping, um, or I'm I'm sorry, they took a loss to, uh, 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 George Mason, who was number 145 in the country. That's not, that's not a good loss to take right in the season. Yeah. I was talking about I was talking about thumping the date and that was actually St. Louis. That was another team that really kind yep. of rose very high in my analytics early on. And they had climbed back into the field. Um, but they, uh, they were 11 and three coming into that game against Dayton and, and Dayton just took them to town. That's an, a team that has that nice quadrant one win against uh, LSU, but you know, it's going to be interesting this week. I think it's on Tuesday. I think VCU has that matchup with, uh, with St. Louis. So I think whichever team comes out of that, is going to have the upper hand to get in the tournament. The other one might be on the on the outside looking in. Um, I'd say the fourth team I have in right now, and that's Indiana. Indiana is kind of a different animal than say a VCU or a St. Louis. It's a classic team <clears throat> that's there with a, with a record closer to 500. They're 12 and 10, but they are ninth in the country in strength of schedule. They're not great in quadrant one. They're only two and eight there, but the two games are Iowa. Both of them. They've got Iowa's number for whatever. For whatever reason, I thought they were probably comfortably in. Then look what happens this weekend. You saw it all day Saturday. They lose to Michigan State, a game they need to win. That's a game in Assembly Hall. They dropped that game. So Indiana's put themselves on on kind of the bubble a little bit. And I'm not even getting to you know things like the entire Mountain West when you got you know Boise State. Oh, it's a mess. Probably, oh yeah, Boise State's probably in. Colorado State, I think, is just out. I think Utah State dropping two to Boise State. I think they have some trouble. You have teams like. Georgia Tech, who just, you know, they get there and they're so close, and then all of a sudden it all goes to hell. And and so they got a game coming up here. Um, I want to say they got a game coming up here with Duke, I think, and that's going to be a one for, you know, Duke's on a roll. Um, yeah, the first and, one they lost yeah. at Duke uh, by seven, I, I, if I remember correctly, and now they're paying them back at home. So it'll be an interesting yeah. uh, test for them. Uh, you mentioned quite a few teams there. I wanted to get your thoughts on UConn. Yeah. UConn, I know a lot of people really like UConn. That's a sleeper. They're trying to get their 
early picks in on UConn with uh, Buck Knight back. Do you think UConn is is safely in the tournament right now, or do they have some work that they need to get done? I don't think they have work to do so much, but they are in that um, what would you call the last four buys. So they're um, they have a little bit of elbow room as long as it's not a complete meltdown, in my opinion. I have them on the eleven line right now. Um, all four of the teams in those quote unquote playing games are all 12 seats. So they're in that last four um, of the buys right now. I, I think it would probably take a, a, a pretty serious meltdown in one game or maybe back-to-back losses to put them out. It really depends about what happens around you too. Um, and I see this every year because if the, the bubble has a great day, all of a sudden they can jump, you know, they can fall very quickly, but if everybody in the bubble loses, they won't go anywhere. So it really depends on what happens in the bubble as well. I know a lot of people talk about the Blue Bloods. That was all the rage on Saturday. Yeah. If there's one historic Blue Blood uh, team out there, uh, and, and they're all kind of struggling uh, to yeah. some extent, I've taken away Kansas, who's probably you know probably in yeah. safely. Yeah. Uh, are we gonna? What's the team most likely to step into that second? You know, assuming maybe there's two. Yeah, Who? I think. Well, I mean, and we're probably not counting North Carolina. I don't know if we're counting North Carolina. Yeah, either, I don't. I, don't yeah. Right. I think North Carolina has been pretty relatively safe. Yeah. yeah, they're in much better shape than even I am on the nine line. So they're, I yeah. think they're okay for right now. They're well above that that first four or that last four in. So um, I would still say Duke. Duke is the team that has climbed up lately. That's a team that um, uh, has won three in a row now. A lot of people wrote them off. They win three in a row, and you had that game, and a lot of people asked me the question of was that a must win game for against Virginia? And I said, well, it's not necessarily must win. There's opportunities to win that game and they're supposed to lose to Virginia. I said, but if you put, if you get that win over Virginia, you're easily in the conversation and they are now back in the conversation. They are in our first eight out. Um, That was, they've been far lower over the past few weeks, but it seems to me like now all of a sudden maybe Duke is starting to get their act together. You see this a little bit year after year. You, you usually see it from Calipari's teams with Kentucky. Kentucky um, has been slow notorious. the past few years. Yes, the last three or four years, notorious slow starts. And this year it's not only slow starts, it's slow middle. Yeah, I mean, they're having some uh, – they had a great game on Saturday. Um, don't get me wrong, but it seems like a lot of these teams with these one-and-done guys, especially in a COVID year who didn't have a lot of preparation – you know, I, I remember seeing Kentucky earlier in the year, and it was just a train wreck. It was a hot mess offensively. And I think it just takes time for these people who really have never played together to kind of become this team unit. And it's, I think it's starting to come together a little bit for, for Krzyzewski and Duke. Um, they've, they've got that three-game winning streak. They knock off a very good uh, Virginia team. I think they are probably the team, if you're looking for another one who's going to jump in there, one of the Blue Bloods, I think Duke could easily make that run to finish the year and get in the tournament. Is it a situation they're in where it's kind of like uh, you, you need to win every game? Like you can't, you can't afford a loss or two. Yeah. It, it, and it really kind of depends, I think, on who you're playing. I mean, it's like, for example, if you're in the big 10 and you're playing a Michigan, you can probably get away with that loss. and It's not going to kill your resume because you expect to lose to Michigan. But if you go out there and you land, you, you stumble on a, on a landmine like Nebraska, it just blows you up. 
And so that's the key is you got to absolutely. And people always talk, well, you get these nice wins against Virginia. That's great. But you now have to make sure you take care of business because if you're playing a bunch of teams that are, you know, average at best, you got to make sure you take care of business there because if you drop one of those games, that's going to hit your resume pretty hard. Uh, I wanted to ask this question because we're, we're coming up on conference tournaments and I always love the mid-major uh, non-power group yeah. conferences. Like I am a sucker for some uh, NEC, SOCON, I, I'm all over it. Uh, is, is there a team from, uh, and this is any team really that pops into your mind, that yeah. you've seen maybe undervalued that's kind of like a really sneaky good team uh this year that maybe people aren't getting enough uh eyes on well you know i i i can think of a few and i'm not sure i'd, I'd call western kentucky one of them because you know what western kentucky they they charles, have charles bassey, bassey is like he's my spirit oh, animal I love yes him. yes he's a monster um and and that's the great thing about it. so that's why I, I wouldn't necessarily call um, then one of those teams, because that's a team that's actually pretty decent. I wouldn't be surprised if they got, and they'd, they'd be a nightmare for a five seed. I think that would be a tough match. Do they have a, do they have a, I mean, I just assume that, okay, Western Kentucky's got the conference USA kind of locked up. Cause I mean, who else is yeah. in there? Marshall Marshall's been okay at times. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, is it UAB that is, uh, was actually leading that conference? Am I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. That's, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, you. I mean, UAB's. UAB was they're seventeen and five, and I know Marshall's a good team. Don't get me wrong there, uh, but yeah, I, I just think that Western Kentucky is that is the the best team in, in that conference right now. So I don't know if I pick them as the unknown because a lot of people know, like you said about Bassey. Um, a couple teams, a, a few teams I want to mention. One of them is uh, is Belmont. Belmont's a team that yeah. has repeatedly been to the tournament with very limited success. I think they're one in nine over the last, I don't know, dozen years. And I think the only win they got was a play-in game uh, with, with Rick Bird. So maybe they can finally turn things around. They are 24 and one out of the OPC right now. So that's a team you got to watch. Toledo is a team I want to mention. Toledo has been a team that is it's 18 and six out of the Mac. They've been a godsend from a, <laughs> from a gambling standpoint this yes, year. They, the they Rockets, are really good at covering. Yes. They cover really well, so that's a team I wouldn't discount. The other one I'd like to bring up is Abilene Christian. Um, this is kind of an odd one because, you know, throughout the year, I always throw out, usually every Monday on Twitter, I kind of say, here are the teams that are the most offensively efficient. Here are the teams that are most defensively efficient. And you see the big names from 1 to 10. Well, a few weeks ago, I threw out the defensive efficiency top 10, and guess who shows up? Abilene Christian. Right now, they're 16th in the country in defensive efficiency out of the Southland Conference, an 18-3 mark that defense could give a lot of big teams a, a, a handful. They force turnovers and they are tough. I So getting, so that's, that's a great, I, I have some questions for you on both. I want to circle back to Belmont, but Abilene Christian, yeah. I don't know if you've got their page up in front of you. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, I work with a guy who, who is a big Abilene Christian guy. He played for the football team. So I know he's listening. Um, so shout out to them, but uh <laughs> The Southland is really strong at the top with Sam Houston State. Uh, you've got Stone Cold Stephen Austin uh, <laughs> in there. And, yeah, you've got Abilene Christian, as mentioned. The, the three teams are hard for me to distinguish, except that I've all seen them play 
Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And, and <laughs> what's great about Corpus Christi is they are the same team uh, every single game. They're, they're not going to do anything crazy. They go a hundred miles an hour. They just yeah. have no regard for the ball. And, you know, yeah. there's a lot of luck percentage in, in some of their shots, but uh, Abilene was the only one that absolutely suffocated them. I mean, they, yeah. they just, they got away and they extended leads and everything. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty gnarly to watch. What yeah. about Abilene Christian? Um, it, on the defense efficiency side of the ball defensively, is there something that your metrics say about the this team? And does a game like that Corpus Christi game, uh, when compared to other teams in conference, does that help kind of build their rep? Yeah, I mean, the thing that jumps to mind with Abilene Christian, if you look at their team page right now, is there's something on the defensive side called FGAR, that's field goal attempt rate, second in the country right now. And you're wow. and when you have a low seek, when you have a very, very low field goal attempt rate like they do, which is out, which is a good thing. You want to have a low field goal attempt rate. That's that's um, telling two stories. You're forcing turnovers and you're and you're cleaning the glass, making sure they don't the opposition doesn't get second chances. And in the cases from what I've heard about Abilene Christian is they suffocate and they're forcing turnovers. So anything that prevents teams from getting shots is going to make that number look better. And for them to be second in the country, even, I mean, and you're adjusting this based yeah. on the opposition, you can't just play, um, you know, for example, if you play nothing but cupcakes, you have to beat the bejesus out of them for the analytics to take you seriously. And for a team like Abilene Christian out of the Southland to be second in the nation in that particular category speaks volumes about how much they limit the opposition opposition into getting shots from the field. I want it. That's a great call. Um, I'm going to be very interested in them coming up uh, the next few weeks. Uh, Belmont, the Bruins. Uh, this is a team I've been really enjoying watching. They just kind of crushed. If they play a bad team in the OVC and like half the OVC is like pretty darn bad, they just annihilate yeah. them. But uh, is this a team just based on their shooting percentage uh, that can? exploit a bad defense from a power conference i'm thinking like a if they got in front of an iowa let's say i really feel bad for iowa because belmont can shoot well that's the thing is um it's interesting about belmont the thing i love about belmont and this goes back to rick bird's mentality but rick bird is kind of in my opinion the godfather of the uh the disdain for the mid-range too and yep. you saw that years ago, and you see that now carrying over with this current Belmont team. I mean, they're, when it comes to the number of attempts they take from mid-range, it's just not there. This team has routinely been encouraged to stay away from the mid-range because, for the most part, there's not much of a benefit to shooting, for example, a, a 16-foot jumper as opposed to stepping back a few, feet, uh, a few feet and trying to get three for two instead of taking that two-point that two jumper inside the line. So that was a Rick Bird thing. That was one of the first people that had, uh, I, you know, I, I got someone reached out to me from the Basketball Times about five years ago, I'm, you know, back at, after Haslametrics had just started. And I kind of reached out to them and I said, how did you, I, just curious, how did you hear about me? And he said, well, from Rick Bird, of course. And I was like, well, I've never spoken to Rick Bird, uh, but that was pretty cool. I thought that Rick Bird had found out about me some way through the, through the grapevine. And I think he was relying a little bit on my 
my mid-range numbers to kind of tell the story. I, yeah, I, I love the tail of the tape uh, with some of your metrics are just like, it's wildly fascinating. Um, is there a team uh, that comes to your mind? We've talked about teams that are, you know, positive. Are, are there some sinking ships out there that come to mind? Ooh, some sinking ships. Oh, that would be, uh, well, I think one that jumps to mind right away is a, t- a team that I really love to watch is St. John's. Oh, and I wow. thought they had climbed in. I thought St. John's was getting really close to being there. But you know what? When you're on the bubble, you don't drop games to DePaul. And that's tough. That's, that's a tough sec- look. That's exactly what you did. You know, I look at other teams as well. You know, I'm on, you know, Syracuse is right there. I think my analytics probably have a little bit more uh, luster on Syracuse than a lot of other people do. They're, they're 13 and six overall. Um, They're 46th in my performance rankings, which is very, which is pretty good. They've won three, um, but you know, they're 0 and four versus quadrant one. Um, That's a team that a lot of people aren't sold on. I, you know, Wichita state is, is on a roll, but Wichita state um, is only 93rd in my performance ranking. So that's the thing. You gotta kind of measure the resume with the performance rankings. And, you know, I think of a team like um, I'm trying to think of the, the worst team I think is Clemson and Clemson is 80th. I mean, that's uh, considering who they were, they're 80th in my performance rankings. They're 12th in record quality. And, and that's the, such a big disparity. I think Missouri's another one. I think they're 56th and they're 16th in record quality. Um, you, you see these disparities of teams that are really, really good, or, or I should say have really, really good resumes. And then when you see them, you're kind of like, I don't know. I, I'm not sold on. Those two teams jump to mind, Clemson and, and Missouri. Then you have the, the other side of the coin. You have the Penn States. The Penn States who land really close to my top 25, but look at that record. They, you know, what are they, 7 and 12 right now? The problem they is went, with Penn State, they go yeah. to the wire with all the good teams. I mean, the elite teams, they're right there with them. Yeah, and, and that game today, as we're recording this on Sunday, that game today, yeah. I, I was sitting there. I had the over. And at halftime, I'm sitting there like 90 points. Hey, let's head to the house. Let's start popping the champagne. <laughs> and Penn State went on a literal eight-minute drought. Yeah. Where they, they, the, they couldn't hit they couldn't hit a shot. And they it, cannot it wasn't all threes. They yeah, can't they, catch a break. They're this they're this year's Purdue. It was yeah. the same thing, Purdue. And Purdue was almost worse last year because Purdue blew the hell out of their efficiency margins because they had massive wins against Iowa. You remember they won a, an Iowa game by like 40. They beat, well, they like beat Michigan by State by, by like 30 at home. Yeah, and they beat Virginia by a ton. They beat Wisconsin by a ton. So they had four games that just blew their efficiency rating out of the water. They were a tough team to pick. Um, I, I think that Penn State is a little bit more of a mild version of that but they, you know, it's interesting that they rise as high as they do in the um, in the performance rankings because of their record. You see these these rankings there, and or um, excuse me, you see these records there of you know fifteen and six, fourteen and six, eighteen and four, and then all of a sudden there's Penn State sitting there at seven and twelve. It's just kind of a in, you know the flying the ointment of the top fifty. Um, but that's how they've been all year. I've said for a long time all year that the best team with a losing record has been Penn State from start to where we are now, maybe Kentucky is not knocking on that door now, but um, Penn state has been in my top 30 routinely throughout the year. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really enjoy that team. It, it, they're good. Before we, we start wrapping it up here, Rutgers with a really tough loss 
at home yeah. to Maryland. This was a Rutgers team, you know, you think back to a couple months ago, uh, really, really uh, impressing folks. I mean, a lot of nice victories. Yeah. Now just kind of, it feels like, hey, they're not going to just make the tournament or they're going to be very tough to get in. Uh, what, what's your take on Rutgers? Are they still like in the conversation? Are they in? Oh, I think they're in. I think they're in. And, 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 and surprisingly, a lot of people like Rutgers. If anybody hasn't, I don't know if you visited uh, bracketmatrix.com yeah. um, with all the bracketologists going out there and they average them all out. I look at, I try to sometimes look at, I'm curious to see what the outliers are and the differences are between mine and what they have the average out there for whatever reason. I mean, I have Rutgers in, rather comfortably pretty much even with like a North Carolina on the nine line. If you go over to, to bracketmatrix.com, they're putting them on, on the upper half of the seven line. That's which, interesting. Which is, it, it is interesting. I look at that too and go, I'm not so sure there are seven, but keep in mind, um, this is my opinion of what the committee does. And the committee makes no bones about it. They use the eye test name. They, they weigh in their opinions. And one of the things that I've said is if you're a fan of the NFL and you've seen how they pick all pro teams, people have said in the past that they tend when, a, when an upstart team or a, I'm, I'm sorry, an upstart player, like say a rookie comes in and has a fantastic year, he doesn't get that all pro berth. And yet the guy who's 37 years old on the offensive lineman who was many years ago, I think of the first name that jumps into mind was Jeff Saturday for the Indianapolis oh, Colts. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday's overstayed his welcome. Um, wasn't performing all that great at the latter end of his career, but the fact of the matter was he was still getting all pro berths. And I think that the committee kind of is guilty of the same kind of mentality. They're looking at Rutgers of what they were last year, and they're looking at this year and going, well, you know, we still consider them, um, you know, probably in that seven conversation when they really haven't earned it. I think Louisville is in that same kind of situation where, you know, many of other teams who are new to the, um, uh, new to the field who really haven't uh, work, haven't had a lot of success in say the last two years. First that jumps to mind is USC. USC is playing fantastic basketball. Um, what is it? I think they're 18 and three, 18 and four now or something like that. I was yeah, surprised. Uh, yeah. I was surprised they were not on that, that top 16 uh, list um, going in that a uh, couple of weeks ago. I thought USC should have been in there. Is it because yeah. I think a lot of people are, and you're right, 18 and four. And, yeah. you know, truthfully, the Pac-12 is, you know, may get, I mean, Stanford might be uh, the cutoff, yeah. the, the last one in there. But I, I think the thing is, is a lot of people are looking at this Oregon team, finally fully healthy, uh, already putting mm -hmm. together some wins against USC, against Colorado, on the road yep. at Arizona. And you kind of start looking and you go, is Evan Mobley that good? Is the is USC that good? I'm trying to find my notes because I was actually talking about this. And I make a lot of notes throughout the year. So for me trying to find my notes. From that looks like, that looks like looks like one of those cheat sheets that the coaches yes. put on top of their faces. <laughs> I, I get crap from all my friends who are like, oh, my God, that looks like the, those cheat sheets. Yeah, exactly. But here, actually, you know what? I just found it. Um, I, I talked up Oregon a little bit because these Dana Altman teams late in the season, there's something about them where they just close like a freight train. And there was the team in 2019, they had won 10 in a row at the end of the year before they lost in the sweet 16 to Virginia last year, they won four in the row before a row, four in a row before COVID hit. And then after um, they, I believe they won 
yesterday. Is that correct? Yeah, they did. The day yeah, so I think that's four in a row now for them. You get Will Richardson back. He was out two months with a thumb injury. Chris Duarte is a game changer. Eugene Amaruri, the transfer from Rutgers, he is, he's leading the team in scoring. Like I said, the Dana Altman teams the last few years, you see these tendencies as we talked about with like Calipari's teams and Kentucky and how they develop over the years. It's kind of the same thing with Dana Altman. Don't doubt Dana Altman in February and March. These Oregon teams usually close like a house of fire. And they're at USC this week, so that'll be yep. actually oh, – the Pac-12 may be absolutely boring to watch in football, but in basketball, actually alive and kicking. That's nice Oh, to see. yeah. don't A lot of good basketball coming out of the Pac-12. Uh, winding her down here, I wanted to put you on the hot seat. Uh, I'm going to assume Gonzaga and Baylor are part of this answer. Yep. Um, give me – your not your final four. I don't want your final four. I want your <laughs> elite eight. Give me, oh. give me, give me uh, six more teams to join the Zags and the Bears. All right, here we go. Well, this will be a good one. I'm gonna go. I'm at, I, I can't, I'm gonna go Illinois. So that okay. gets me a three. Hard to pick against Michigan. I'm gonna go Michigan. Um, I'm going to go Virginia. I'm actually gonna go Virginia. Uh, that's five. Um, Florida State. I'm going to go Florida State. And then you got to go. Here's one that I'm going to go, and people might raise their eyebrows at a little bit. I'm going to say Creighton. I think Creighton. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say Creighton. And then I need one that kind of goes off a little bit. Um, and I got to find one here that might be one that I'd be willing to go with. Ooh, hoo, hoo. you know, I wouldn't. Could I, would I be able to go? I might be able to go with Oregon. Oregon might be the one to, to take, but the Dana Altman team closing like a house of fire. Maybe that's the way to go. I've seen, I, and I'm, maybe I'm biased because Wisconsin fans hate seeing Oregon and everything. And we saw them two, <laughs> and we saw them two years ago. And that was that team, that, that Wisconsin team Both. that I thought was a little overhyped. And it was the 5 12 game. And they have Both Peyton in Pritchard. football and basketball. Yes, they torture us, and it's and it's painful. I mean, we beat them in back-to-back -back years back when we had Kaminsky and Decker. Uh, but, yes, Wisconsin – it's funny because I live in the town of Oregon in Wisconsin, <laughs> so so I, I walk around, I got my shirt sometimes that says Oregon, and they're like, oh, you like Oregon? I'm like, no, no, it's Oregon. That's where I live. I don't live in Oregon, so – yeah, Somebody's got to do something about the name change or maybe maybe something. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah. So they've tortured Wisconsin fans in the past. Um, uh, that was the game. That was the, the Ethan Happ, the last game that Ethan Happ played. And it was just an atrocious game Wisconsin played. And yeah, they, they, that was the year they went to the Sweet 16 and lost to Virginia, who eventually won the whole thing. So yeah, I, maybe I'll pick Oregon at this time. You never know. I, I, you got you to gotta throw at least one or two in that nobody saw coming. Reverse jinx it. I like it. That's uh, right. Eric, where can people find more information about Haslam metrics? And uh, I, I subscribe to you on Twitter. I think it's pretty fun uh, tweets put out there. Where can people find you, man? You can find me over at haslametrics.com. I got ratings. I got rankings. I got uh, projections, bracketology out there. Otherwise, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, my hashtag is uh, or I'm sorry, my handle is at Haslametrics, but my ha the one you'll see me use a lot with my hashtag is hashtag analytically final. I just, you know, I, I like it when fans go out there. I just, I'm, I, I joke and I say, I take the anal out of analytics because <laughs> it's, because it's supposed to be fun. 
And I think a lot of people really try to suck the life out of it and probably just take it a little bit too seriously. You'll know the, the regulars that I'm surrounded with. We have a lot of fun. We, we joke, you know, I got my, my buddy, Tony is a big fan of USC and all we do is guy. All I do is rub whenever USC struggles, I rub his nose in it. When USC wins, he rubs my nose in it. And I got different people who I talk to on different, a variety of different teams. I love my Purdue fans because my Purdue fans have so many buttons that I just love to push that I can't help myself. And, and, and they're great. I love them too. And, and so that's the great thing about it is it's, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be fun. And that's why I do it. And, and that's why a lot of people said, well, you can make it a pay site. And I said, well, the best party is a free party. And I like having fun. I like having a good time. I like offering the service and it's, and it just makes the, the, the game more enjoyable. It, it's really, it, so college basketball, I'm a college football guy, first and foremost. I yeah. imagine that that's probably a strong debate with you. <laughs> as far as it mentally where fo college football, college basketball kind of rank, you know, depending yeah. on how good Wisconsin is. Uh, yeah, it on is. Yearly basis. The only thing about Wisconsin every year with football is it's like, you know, it's only a matter of time before they kick you right in the groin. It's like they can go, they can go nine, and know, and you're like, here it comes. I'm, I'm ready to get hurt again. And they least, find some way to blow At it. least they kick you in the groin in Indianapolis. Some teams uh, don't even know where that is. Right. This is true. And, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much immune to, to pain, not only with the Badgers, but I'm a Packers fan too. So oh, there's <laughs> nobody can hurt. Nobody can hurt me anymore. I'm immune to it. I, what does it say? If I tell you I'm a Lions fan, I don't oh, know. Oh, that's a different kind. Yeah. That's a different <laughs> yeah. kind of pain. <laughs> no, that's, that's nothingness. That is that's an, nothingness. An, an empty hole. It um, is. That's but right. I wanted to, I wanted to wrap it up with, you know, I really appreciate the work you put in because the write-ups you give on every team and they're updated, whether it be Penn state who yeah. I was looking at, or, or yesterday I was looking at the sharks from uh, long Island um, yeah. and, and your write-ups and how you break things down. It, it's really helpful, especially for folks that are trying to, um, you know, put a little money out on college basketball because, you know, there's a hundred games on and it's legal in 20 States. Now <laughs> I, I find that you can become a smart person instead of going, well, you know, I really like the mascot for Montana state. Right. Uh, right. So I, I appreciate it. I, I hope, uh, hope people check you out, man. It's really great. I appreciate that. And uh, so that's Haslametrics. Check it out. Uh, Eric Haslam, thank you for joining me. We'll be back next week. I think we're going to go watch some uh, horses run around in circles, try and make money off of it with some friends. So check in for that. Until next time, I am Stu, and we'll see you after a while.